the folks that felt like they were more future ready had more of their stuff in the cloud. Welcome to Manufacturing Happy Hour, the podcast where we get real about the latest trends and technologies impacting modern manufacturers. Manufacturing Happy Hour. Each week, we interview industry experts that are at the top of their craft and give you the tools, tactics and strategies you need to take your career and your business to the next level. And now your host, Chris Lukey. Hey, what's up, folks? Welcome to episode 49. Today, we've got a big topic. We're going to be discussing what manufacturers need to be successful over the course of the next decade. I know that's a bold statement, but we also have a bold company that's going to be joining us to talk about this. We're going to be joined by Salesforce today. We know you know them, one of the biggest SaaS companies around, but these folks actually have some big expertise in manufacturing as well. In fact, they just released a report talking about trends in manufacturing, which is where this comes from, where they talked to over 750 leaders in the manufacturing space around the world to get some representative perspectives of what's to come in the near future. We're going to go over their findings, why they're important, and how they tie in with common themes that we often discuss on the show. So this episode is really going to take place in about two parts. The first part is we're going to be going over how manufacturers adapted in light of all the changes that took place in 2020 and what's here to stay in this new landscape. That's part one. In part two, we're going to be going over key characteristics of future-ready manufacturers, and this is where I think things get really interesting. So you're going to want to stick around all the way to the end of this episode. I will say we've got some good resources from this one that you can check out after the show ends. So if you want to access anything we talk about, head over to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 49 to access the show notes to this episode. Before we get rolling, I do want to give a shout out to our listeners that are always saying such nice things about us on iTunes. In fact, we have a recent review from this past Monday that simply said, great content. Chris interviews some of the best people in the field as a person trying to enter the industry. This podcast gives key insights you can't get anywhere else. If you also want to leave a five-star rating and review, it certainly helps us keep the show on the map. You can do so over at manufacturinghappyhour.com slash iTunes. It'll take Take you straight to the Apple Podcasts platform. And with that, let's jump into today's episode. We're going to meet up with Ryan Moylan. He's actually a Milwaukee area local uh, like myself. He's a manufacturing leader over there at Salesforce. So let's dive in to today's conversation. Ryan, it's good to have you here. Chris, thanks for having me. Well, I know you're just down the road from me. You're back up in Wisconsin as well. And, and in true happy hour fashion, the first the first thing I've got to ask you is things are starting to get back to normal. The likelihood of doing these interviews, you know, in person again is is starting to increase. So if we were hanging out at a local watering hole or a local brewery, where uh, where might that be? It's a great question, and I hope we can do that. Uh, for me, you know, I grew up in uh, the Wauwatosa area here in Wisconsin, and so my favorite watering hole over there is Left's Lucky Town. And uh, they did a great job with COVID last year, actually set up some nice tables outside and, and some great social distancing. So was able to experience it a bit in the summer, summer months last year, and I'm excited this year to get back. Awesome. Well, yeah, I'm excited for the... 
like we're getting some actual spring weather here. We're recording this in May 2021, so the summer weather should be right around the corner. So uh, in that case, let's say we're hanging out at at Lucky Town, and and I imagine some of the listeners um, are going to have this same question as well, because to give you a proper intro, you're the Director of Manufacturing Automotive and Energy at Salesforce. No doubt people know who Salesforce is, but today I'm excited to learn more about what you're doing from a manufacturing standpoint, more about that report that you recently put out. So, so Ryan, since this is the context, I imagine if we're hanging out at a bar, it wouldn't be uncommon for someone to come up and say, you know, Ryan, I, I know who Salesforce is. Like, you're that CRM company, right? What do you guys have to do in manufacturing? So how do you describe what you do in manufacturing if you're at a bar with someone? It's a great question, Chris. And uh, I think it's a question we get quite, a, quite often when we're working with manufacturers. and. You know, our ticker symbol might be CRM, but we don't like to think about ourselves that way. Uh, we think about ourselves more as an engagement platform for manufacturers across the value chain. And uh, one thing you'll, you'll hear if you ever work with the Salesforce team is they talk about a 360-degree view of all the interactions that happen in your business. And for us in manufacturing, you know, we think of that view in a couple different lenses. So for us, that could be a 360-degree view of your suppliers or of your employees or of your channel partners or of the assets that you sell into the field or all of those combined. And, and really, we're just trying to be that engagement layer for our manufacturers and pair with their best-in-class back-office systems so that they can serve their customers, their partners, and their people uh, a little bit easier. Well, that makes sense because I've gotten to know Salesforce over the years. In fact, I was right in your backyard when I was living out in San Francisco. And everything you just mentioned about the 360 degree view from employees to channel partners to the assets themselves, you know, these are all things that are all topics on the show. And I think when we first talked, you said, as far as Salesforce goes, like manufacturing is your second largest total available market. Am I, am I getting that right? You're getting that right. It's, it's, it's a place we've had a lot of success. And it's a place where we think there's there's a lot of future success for us. And, you know, we're making investments around product, customer success, and, and aligning all of our teams to point right at that, that addressable market, uh, you know, here and this year and in, in the coming years. Well, I think that's that's a good segue into what we're here to talk about today, because Salesforce recently published a trends in manufacturing report where you got insight from 750 industry leaders on, you know, what it's going to take to succeed in manufacturing over the next decade. Um, and I'm excited to get into that today because it, it's, it's a media report. There's a lot of information here and a lot of talk around future readiness. So, you know, if you were, to, if someone were to ask you what this report is about at the highest level, like executive summary, how would you answer that? There's two chapters to the report. And the first one is taking into account COVID and what happened and what uh, changes folks think might be permanent coming out of COVID. And then the second chapter is more about the characteristics of a future ready manufacturer. All right, characteristics of future ready manufacturers is something that we're constantly talking about on this show, but maybe let, let's take this you know one step at a time. And I'm gonna start with a more general question before we get into some of the permanent changes. You know. As, as you've 
been in this role, as you've seen this report, is there anything that really surprised you right out of the gate or some things that might surprise our audience of manufacturing leaders um, that you found? There were a couple surprises. And for me, you know, the two things that stood out, the, the first was what folks thought would be permanent, the way they sell and the way they serve their customers. Uh, when I saw the report, we were debating internally and we'd had different anecdotes from folks we talked to about you know, is the remote workforce here to stay? Is the hybrid workforce the workforce of the future? Are we going to use digital tools that we may have bought during the pandemic on an ongoing basis to serve our customers in a way that maybe we haven't before? Overwhelmingly, folks, I think, are pushing towards that digital path. And uh, we, we've had other headwinds before in the past as folks have looked in the space to transition to digital and when, when we actually got to talking to people after we read the report, we, you know, it felt like we kind of got over the mountain a little bit uh, with some of the manufacturers we're working with. And everyone's thinking the same thing. And COVID was an accelerant to a lot of initiatives that I think were underlying a lot of thoughts across the leadership teams we're working with. Yeah, it's funny. I, d- I don't know if you saw it, but there was a popular meme that was going around uh, during COVID. You know, it's like, th- there, are, there are two, actually. I'll start with one. It's like an ABC question. It's like, you know, what spurred uh, your company's digital transformation? A, was it your CEO? B, was it your CTO? Or C, was it COVID-19? And uh, like you said, a lot of things that people in the boardroom might have been saying, hey, this is like five years off, 10 years off. All of a sudden, we're like one day off at that point. You talk about the way that companies sell and the way they serve their customers. And as someone that's been a career sales guy in a lot of ways, I was already thinking that, you know, the 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 geographic workforce was due for a change, just the way you can digitally influence people. You know, can you maybe share some of the specifics that you found around, hey, how, you know, how is this going to change? What what does this new hybrid workforce look like? Yeah, I might start with the service side of the house first. Okay. From a from a service standpoint, let's take someone like uh, field personnel, so technicians and folks that are kind of in the operations arm of our manufacturers, and they're going out to maybe install equipment, do some preventive maintenance work, repair it. Uh, maybe there's an emergency and. Uh, you know, I, I think about what they were doing before the pandemic and what they're doing now. A lot of companies that we're working with actually have brought in virtual remote assistants to diagnose some of the issues on site remotely before they roll a truck. And th- that is something that maybe wasn't as commonplace pre-COVID as is now. And what that does is it does allow you to potentially avoid a truck roll where perhaps the, the solution was very simple. So there's there's a little bit of monetization there, but it also it, it provides kind of a different um, approach to serving your customers because it does give a kind of a more collaborative um, in-person upfront meeting before you actually roll out onto a site and represent the brand or represent the the equipment that you're going there to fix. Um, so that that's interesting, and I think the other thing is if you take those same field personnel. Typically, they just had a, a work list that they went down, you know, do this, do that, do this, and, and, and fix the problem. Well, now you've got all these protocols to just get in the building. And if you're not using digital tools to handle that, it, it can be quite cumbersome because you, you have the bill materials that you're responsible for in the work order. And then you have all the protocols that that customer may have in order to access their site safely. 
And so you're compounding a lot of the things that someone in the field needs to do. You're changing the uh, amount of time they spend per stop. And you've got to reassess your technician mix and utilization of those techs. Um, and so there's different ways digital tools can help there, but it, it's kind of completely changed the way we access anyone else's property um, mm -hmm. in, in the most basic sense. Well, it's interesting because both of those two things you just mentioned tie together because you're right. Now, let's say when a service technician or an engineer is going on site, not only do they have the task that needs to be completed, but chances are there's, I don't want to call them hoops they have to jump through, but other boxes they need to check in order to be able to do that. And having that virtual remote assistance, like you mentioned, was one of the earliest trends we saw. In fact, when anyone was asking, you know, where is an opportunity for augmented reality in manufacturing? Well, if you can take your iPhone and, you know, let's say it's it's like a glorified FaceTime call where you're able to circle different parts on the machine you're troubleshooting and that circle will stay there as you're describing something to someone. You can, like you said, do troubleshooting or do remote work on that factory equipment in a remote way where in the past you'd have to have gone on site. And and I have no doubt, as, as you were saying, that those things are going to stick around as your report said. A lot of people think this is permanent because you know, you, you kind of subtly mentioned it, there is a cost factor to it. If you can knock something out remotely, there's no reason to go on site to do it at this point. I think we're looking at that more than we did in the past. Absolutely agree. And the, you know, the connected machinery equipment, all of that's also helping facilitate the decisions around sending personnel on site or what kind of actions you need to take. And as the cost of sensors have gone down, as more sophisticated equipment is being built, as people want to monitor, you know, the usage of that equipment and perhaps tie that monitoring into monetization around the, the useful life of the equipment, all of that plays a role and a wrapper around the personnel that you have as a manufacturing business and how you're using them. Love that. You know, I'm, I'm going to highlight something here that that really jumps out at me before we move to kind of the future readiness side of things. But before I do that, as far as like adapting to this new landscape, we're talking about the permanent changes that COVID brought about. Are there any other aspects you'd like to spotlight in there that were permanent changes that uh, that that people didn't necessarily expect or people are, are thinking are going to stick around now? I think one other thing to touch on is, is the forecasting piece of the report. I thought it mm -hmm. was interesting. Um, the, the response from our 750 manufacturers and, and basically the stat was, you know, a lack of data transparency in silo teams are significant barriers to accurate forecasting. 83% of folks said that was true. We have legacy tools. 82% of folks said, hey, you know, we have disparate data. And, and, and those are pretty serious challenges. And I, I go back to the conversations I'm having every day with our, our customers. And you think about traditional forecasting means and, and perhaps you're looking back three or five years and running some regression analysis against what has happened in the past and something like COVID happens. It's really hard to exponentially smooth out the impacts of COVID in your forecasting model. And, and a lot of folks really realize, hey, I really need the sales team who's connected to our partners and our customers to contribute a bigger part to this SNOP process because I need to know the market conditions in real time 
and incorporate that into my forecasting, uh, whether it's through my demand or production planning. Um, so that shift uh, occurred due to the due to COVID and due to some of the volatility that some of these companies went through in terms of demand and understanding demand and patterns of demand in in the health of their channel. Mm-hmm. Well, t- two things I'm going to highlight there. One, I think for anyone listening, it's starting to make more sense as to where Salesforce plays into this. Because when you're talking about, you know, having, we, we, we talk about this in terms of like the context of like islands of automation sometimes, where there's all these disparate systems that aren't talking to one another. And now if I'm hearing you right, you're talking about how sales and how that forecasting is now integrated into manufacturing and how that impacts what's taking place on the plant floor. Is that correct? That is correct. Salesforce does have some solutions that are specific to the industry that are thinking about just that, Chris. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's paired with, you know, a strong integration strategy and it's paired with some analytics. Mm Mm-hmm something that, you know, allows you to roll up some of those thoughts and some of the things that are happening uh, across divisions and across departments and across products uh, to just get a little sharper and a little bit more accurate. And as we all know, it's forecasting is really hard to do. Mm -hmm. Slight improvements there yield a ton of value for everyone. Well, I think this is important because in addition to having, you know, I I use the term manufacturing leaders listening to this show pretty generically in some ways. It's people that are on the plant floor. It's people in the C-suite, anyone that's taken a proactive approach to to the industry. There are a lot of sales folks that listen to this show as well. So for the sales audience out there, you know, this is where what you're doing in the field, how you're predicting things in your funnel are starting to have a closer tie-in into what is going to go down in manufacturing. So I love that point you bring up. Um, I, I feel like we're really bringing in our, our different, uh, we talked about islands of automation. We're bringing in the different islands of our audience to this conversation today. Um, and I think the, the next thing I want to bring up will probably resonate with a number of people. I think one of the things that stuck out to me the most as we move to kind of the, the characteristics of, you know, the future of manufacturing one thing that jumped out is people's overall feeling towards preparedness for the future. I think one of the stats that jumps out at me is, you know, 36% feel very uh, prepared. And this is on everyone across the different sectors and across the globe. 36% feel really prepared. 55% are like they're prepared. And there's only like 9% saying they're unprepared. And, and that kind of shocked me because I feel like that number is usually more skewed towards, you know, sure, you know, maybe the majority feels prepared, but it just seemed like that was a lot of people that are feeling confident about the future. Can you explain like why you felt that was the case? Well, I'd like to say because Salesforce sent this out to customers, <laughs> we got everybody prepared, but I don't think that's that's entirely the truth. Um, you know, I, I think there's been a I'll say this, over the last five years, as I've been looking at this landscape and from a technology perspective, there are more and more companies and more and more industries that kind of see a first mover within their spot, do some things around digital transformation, and they say, hey, they're setting a precedent that we need to meet. And so that's that's one thing that I think has forced some people to become prepared coming into this survey. The second is there's a blending between our B2C experiences and our B2B experiences. And manufacturers are, we're all people 
And we all have different experiences on the consumer side that we sometimes want to translate over into our business working relationships. That creates pressure. So that's the second piece of where I think some people have started to prepare ahead of where the survey came. And the third is a lot of our customers, it's hard to differentiate. Some people have specialized equipment and specialized products. Some people have more commodity products. And, and you don't always want to differentiate on price. You might want to differentiate on cost, customer experience or relationships or other things where you, know, you think technology is actually more of your differentiator than product application, or you just are in a tighter band around innovation. And so that's another thing that kickstarted some of the industries we see um, going into this report. But I was surprised like you too, around the percentages. No, I, I mean, it, it, it's certainly, I'm a glass half full guy on, on the whole. So when I saw that, I'm like, all right, this is, I guess the whole industry is glass half full right now. So that, that, that gave me some warm and fuzzies. We'll be right back, right after a word from our sponsor. Are you searching for an e-commerce platform tailored to your industrial operation? Well, look no further than our sponsor for today's episode, Gen Alpha. Gen Alpha equips manufacturers, distributors, and dealers with the products and services they need to accelerate profits online. Now, I've been lucky enough to really get to know the folks over at Gen Alpha for the past few months, and what I love about them is that their entire leadership team comes from our industry. Not only do they know e-commerce, but they understand the challenges that manufacturing companies face when ordering parts online. If implementing an e-commerce platform is new territory for you or you feel like you could be doing it better, Gen Alpha offers an e-commerce readiness assessment to help OEMs identify their areas of strength and weakness in order to prioritize the activities required for a successful e-commerce launch. To learn more about Gen Alpha, make sure to head to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash Gen Alpha to listen to our interview with their president and COO, Christina Harrington. There, you can also find a direct link to their e-commerce readiness assessment, or you can check them out on the web at genalpha.com. In summary, if you're an equipment manufacturer, distributor, and your customers struggle to identify the right parts for the job, Gen Alpha can help. And now, back to today's episode. Let's, you know, maybe we go into some of the characteristics of, of a future ready manufacturer then, because I think that'll shine even more light around this type of concept. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm looking at the report and the, one of the first things that pops up is resilience in the face of crisis. Can you tell me what that means and, and what you were finding in, in that capacity? I think there were two things that underpin that. One was proactive response. And the second was agility. Uh, and you can flip the order of those if you'd like, but basically people who felt like they had agile infrastructure in place, meaning, hey, I can quickly communicate with all my customers because there's going to be a, there's a supply chain disruption, or I can adjust my pricing across all of my divisions to proactively take in higher input costs or things that are fluctuating in my business, or I can communicate and uh, work with my channel partners in a way where we can manage what's flowing through and what we're going to hold on our balance sheet versus theirs at scale. Uh, you know, those are things that are agile, agility driven. And, and there's also an element of, uh, 
I think folks who were taking all those data signals going into COVID and, and they were just a little bit more proactive in, in their response. And they, they didn't hunker down and say, you know, we're just going to try to wait it out. They started moving and making decisions. And, and I think that's part of the, the resiliency story. No, I, I agree with that. And I think I like that you brought up agility because as someone that's in the manufacturing space, that's an area where I've, I'll just say it's been a weak point of manufacturing. And let's, let's be real. There's a difference when you're doing hardware or physical products versus software. There's a certain logistical element to not being able to be as agile. But I think that example you bring up about being able to change your pricing um, in an agile standpoint is, is extremely relevant. You know, it's more than just product that we're being agile around. It's the other aspects of a business. Um, another, uh, another key characteristic that jumps out, and this is a big one for the tech crowd on here, is cloud becoming a key ally. And this is still a question in the manufacturing industry. So not, you know, more people are comfortable with it. There's still some people that are hesitant around it. What did, what did you find in your report around cloud? Yeah, we had we had a couple different uh, flavors of that the, the cloud question, and we looked at it across different basically systems and, and use cases. So whether it was CRM or demand planning, mm-hmm. ERP uh, functions in manufacturing supply chain or financials, and the interesting thing was across all of that, the folks that felt like they were more future ready had more of their stuff in the cloud. Mm. And the folks that were unprepared or said to the, you know, in, in the report, I feel unprepared, had less stuff in the cloud across all of those functions. And, and the percentages were pretty similar from CRM to ERP to supply chain to other things in the report. But the Delta, and the Delta was also pretty similar. Um, so I, I, I think it's, I, you know, I'm not gonna be the most technical person um, you know, I certainly, my role at Salesforce is really to connect with our customers and speak their language and understand their challenges. Mm-hmm. Got a lot of great technical resources that we bring in, but um, there, there's just, a, there's a certain level of agility, going back to that word, that can happen in the cloud that just is really hard to replicate uh, in, in other ways. No, it makes sense. Makes perfect sense to me. You know, I, I think the statement that stuck out the most, the more future ready that companies were, you know, very well correlated to the more they had in the cloud. And, you know, we talk about cloud on the plant floor quite a bit in uh, in this show, but also when you're talking the business systems, the ERP, et cetera, um, it's just one of those things that that allows you to move faster. You know, the another one that, that jumps out as far as key characteristics um, is channel partnerships and collaboration. And that's always, you know, whether we're talking cybersecurity, whether we're talking delivery, who your partners are is always a big topic that comes up. So what did you find out from channel partnerships and collaboration? That was an interesting piece of the report. And, it, you know, it's 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 shaded in the same way that the rest of the questions have been. There's the future ready and there's the unprepared. And the questions were, do our channel partners add value to our products? Well, the future ready folks, 80% of them said yes. The unprepared folks said 58% said yes. Um, The other one was, do the channel partners drive enough market share for my business? 
75% of the future ready said yes. And about half of the unprepared said yes. And I'll say the answer, you know, it's, it's manufacturing is a broad term, as you know, right? Mm-hmm. And, and here at, at Salesforce, we think about it pretty granularly. We actually dissect it down into probably 15 to 20 different categories underneath that. But we encounter all the different channels that, you know, your listeners might have. Folks that sell through dealerships, folks that sell through distribution, retailers, wholesalers, folks with third-party sales reps right in between that are repping the brands. And, and, and I think that plays a little bit into this question, in my opinion, of mm-hmm. what was some Delta as well. Um, it was a global survey. So hopefully we had an, a nice mix of everybody in there. But I really think it, it is a very dependent on who your second B is in the channel for how you, how you think about this. Well, I, I, uh, this is a major philosophical type of discussion. We could have its own separate conversation around on where in this day and age of, you know, where companies like Amazon exist and eliminate the middleman in a lot of ways, what is the role of distribution and where do they add value? I think one of the things that jumps out at me is, you know, the companies that were future ready are saying, yeah, our channel partners do add value. And, you know, we're having this conversation from a, you know, channel partners doing more than just, you know, being your warehouse. Now, what type of services are your channel partners doing? Things like that are part of the discussion. And that kind of gets to the the last point in, in this portion of a characteristic of a future ready manufacturer. You know, it says services as a revenue center mindset. So let's, let's talk about this, this shift to services a little bit. What are you seeing there? The uh, to jump back really quickly too to the channel sure. side. The other thing that I think is interesting there is just the visibility through the channel. Mm. A lot of our customers they may be blind to who the end user or end customer is of their solutions or their product as it flows through distribution. And so those partnerships are key because you really want to have that 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 channel partner be part of your experience, but you also want visibility into how your product's being used and who has it. And so we, you know, that blindness is something we we deal with sometimes with the companies we're working with, and um, there's ways around it. And, it, and but it's it comes down to collaboration, um, and I think that's an interesting secondary point on that question. But to go to the service side, you know, servitization, selling of services by manufacturers, uh, it was a question that we posed in the in in the survey, and the the future ready manufacturers again are ahead as it relates to uh, thinking about and delivering on servitization. Um, they view that as absolutely essential or very important to their value proposition. So the, the categories are kind of support services, engineering services, your spare parts and aftermarket services, and your diagnostic services. And in each of those categories, future ready manufacturers feel like they're ahead compared to unprepared manufacturers. And I think servitization and these, these new business models, it's an interesting topic, Chris, because there's it, sometimes people, it's hard to put your finger on what does that actually mean? And, and so I'll give you a couple examples for your listeners of what it means for people we're working with, if that, that might be helpful, but. Um, oh, always helpful to have some pointed examples that uh, that paint the picture. So go right ahead. Okay. Well, here's what I'm thinking. So, and these are all examples from just working with folks in our ecosystem, but 
Um, so tiered service level agreements uh, so that you're not treating every customer exactly the same. Maybe that's an uptime guarantee. Maybe that's a response time guarantee. But that's an example of something you can package up and sell. Um, contractual service work agreements, similar. You know, you buy this equipment, we'll give you 10 preventative maintenance visits over the next couple of years. Uh, extended warranty programs. Uh, you see that a lot in, in different types of uh, equipment. Um, I think those are some of the easier ones to stand up uh, with technology. Uh, if you think about stuff that's maybe medium level of difficulty, you start getting into like remote monitoring and troubleshooting or predictive service off of IoT and telemetry data, or you know even selling the data that comes off the machines to improve efficiency and optimize usage. Those are more medium difficulty usually. And then and the stuff that's hard and, and I think could be really creative, but it really disrupts the business model uh, for, for a, a sub-industry under manufacturing are the things like pay-per-use or machine hours, uh, shared economics of equipment install, and then things like on-demand, rental fleets, and resource pools. So I think, I don't know how many I just gave you there, maybe nine or so, but those are some of the ones that, you know, we're talking to our customers about. That's a, that's a ton, man. And, and I'll, I'll just give you some, some, some of the world, according to Chris thoughts on what I'm seeing here, you know, I'm seeing the manufacturers that are really starting to pull away from the pack are the ones that we'll call future ready. You know, you kind of talk about this, like these starter areas, like extended warranties, packaging and services. We've seen a lot of that for a long time. Um, and it's still important, no doubt. I think where we're seeing some creativity right now is on that remote monitoring and then taking it a step further. You're talking pay-per-use machine hours. Um, I'm seeing a lot more SaaS companies in the manufacturing space solving problems um, through, you know, solving technology or solving manufacturing problems using SaaS. No doubt Salesforce is one of them. I'm even seeing companies um, doing stuff called machine as a service, you know, where factory assets are now a service as well. So we're seeing it evolve. We're in the early innings of that, what I'll say, but it'll be interesting to see how quickly that, that picks up into the mainstream. So, you know, as, as we wrap up here, Ryan, I, I've just got a couple more questions for you. We covered a lot of ground today. We, we essentially went through the high points of the report in terms of adapting the new landscape, what the characteristics of a future ready manufacturing uh, manufacturer are in uh in the world, according to Salesforce, the world, according to Ryan, you know, what, what are maybe your top three things that it's going to take to succeed over the next decade? Or maybe what are some of the ones that are most an immediate priority? That's a great question. And, uh, you know, I think a couple things that I, are really important in, 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 this is more of the world of Ryan, let's just, okay. say. um, but the companies need to, really hammer out a transit, uh, a digital transformation roadmap that they can get behind. Uh, you know, it sounds basic, but you really need to get executive alignment, IT alignment, and business alignment around that and come into agreement. And whether that's with Salesforce or other great companies out there in the space, you know, you really need to hammer that out and you need to have an integration and data strategy that underpins that. And then from there, it's, you know, a lot of it's the human element change management, the, hey, fail fast, some of the disruptive ways at which you can, uh, you know, kind of deploy technology are not always natural in the cadence of a manufacturer who really has to think about precision, quality, on-time delivery, other things where you 
there's there's no room for error. Sometimes in you know in a space with us and at Salesforce and in the front office and in the middle office and some of the things we're deploying, you can fail fast and iterate and actually take a different change management methodology to that process than you would on the factory floor. Um, so that's that's a little that's tactical. You know, taking the question a little broader, I love companies that are blending hardware and software. So there's some industries that are starting to do it, and it's you know the traditional manufacturers where all of a sudden they're not only manufacturing the hardware, but they're building all the software and the ideas around it. And they're molding into technology companies and they're doing great things. And I mean, they're a competitor to Salesforce in a lot of ways in some of the great things they're doing. And I think that's, you look for the companies that are like that and and you see that. And I think there's so much cool innovation going on uh, there. That's a great, that's a great answer. No, if I, if I'm looking at this companies need a digital transformation roadmap. And I love that you talk about, bringing the different groups together, IT, operations, technology, and having that human element in there as well. Honestly, Ryan, it ties into one of the most common themes of the show, whether we're talking about digital transformation, cybersecurity, uh, a new initiative at an enterprise. It's about people, process, and then the technology. The technology is the thing you put on there once you got the the, the first two in place. Um, and blending hardware and software, no, no doubt that's going to be the the trend we keep seeing. Um, you know, one one thing I'll say to that is it kind of goes back to your, your partner uh, comments earlier and the the collaboration aspect. I think we're in a phase where there are few companies that will, in fact, there's really not a single company that ex- ex- executes on the entire digital transformation. It's about getting the right partners chatting with one another and making things happen right now as well. So um, it's cool. To, it's cool to hear everything you found. I love the way you summarized it. Hits on a lot of themes we've covered on the show before. We could probably do like, uh, honestly, five to seven different episodes on each of these topics. But as we wrap up, Brian, is there one question you wish I would have asked you that I haven't yet? I don't think there's one question I wish you had asked. I think that, you know, I, I love the question of where do you think we're going yeah. in, in general? And, I, you know, I think about even some of the sectors, Chris, that we, we look at and how mm-hmm. we divide our world. So manufacturing is a broad term, right? We kind of go, hey, who's discrete? Who's process? Who's, you know, building products? Who's industrial machinery? Who's chemicals? You know, we go all the way down, that, down there uh, in terms of how we try to help our customers and think about what they need. Um, but the report was striped uh, by six different categories of manufacturers. So it was striped by the original equipment folks who generally sell through dealerships or direct, the parts production folks who are, you know, think of your tier one automotive suppliers or, or working under a contractual agreement for engineered part. And then some folks who sell through distribution on the discrete side. And then we looked at chemicals, ag, and other process manufacturers on the process side. And I thought there were some some stark differences just in those six categorizations across the questions. So I'd encourage the, encourage the listeners to kind of take the Tableau uh, dashboard link that you'll link in your show notes and dissect by that, um, by those uh, different characteristics of what the manufacturer type is. Yeah, and I'll, like you said, I'll be linking up into the show notes over at manufacturinghappyhour.com. It's a cool tool to play with. That's how I was doing a lot of my research for this, just seeing, because it, you divide it not only by sector, but by country as well. So you can get a snapshot as to 
what your region of the world is doing. Um, you know, whether you're in the UK, Latin America, the US, uh, a lot of different categories on there. So cool report. Definitely recommend playing with it and checking it out. You know, speaking of where we're going again, if we were at a bar, it's uh, you know, we're doing this in the afternoon. What would be, what would be the first drink we'd be having as, uh, as we close this out? <laughs> Well, you know, we're, we're both in Wisconsin and, uh, you know, I, I think a lot of people who visit, you know, spotted cow and all that stuff from Glarus, but, you know, I kind of go back to, I've been, I, I'm a little West in Milwaukee now, and there's this, uh, company called raised grain brewery out of Waukesha and they're doing some really good stuff. So I might get their triple hop IPA or they got an Imperial red ale. That's quite nice. Um, so supporting a little more local company to, to me, but, uh, I hopefully left lucky town carries that stuff. I think that might be the starter. Yeah. Li- little known fact for the listeners out there. We actually shot a video at uh, raised grain, um, a while back. We record actually yeah. we recorded it off site, but we had some B roll from that raised grain brewing. So if, uh, if anyone uh, is subscribed to the manufacturing happy hour, YouTube channel, there is a, um, ep- one of the episodes we did on the brewing industry is actually at raised grain. So I will, uh, I'll be linking up to raised grain and lucky town in the show notes as well. <laughs> and as we wrap things up, Ryan, I just got to say, thanks for the time. Thanks for taking us through this and uh, looking forward to hopefully grabbing an in-person beverage sometime soon. Absolutely. Chris, thanks for having me. It's been great. And, uh, I appreciate the time as well. And everyone listening, stay innovative, stay thirsty. We'll catch you again next time. Cheers. All right. All right. All right. Thank you for listening. That episode was stacked. I know I say that pretty much every week, but gosh, we went through uh, at least five to seven different bullets around the new manufacturing landscape, as well as the future ready manufacturer characteristics from talking about services to channel partnerships to cloud. I mean, we covered a lot of the hot topics that we talk about on this show. So if you want to dive into more, make sure to go to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 49. As we mentioned, you can find information on Salesforce's manufacturing report in the show notes. And uh, maybe of equal importance, you can also figure out how to get to Left's Lucky Town if you ever happen to be in the Milwaukee area and you need a drink. I've actually never been there before. It's it's kind of out in the county a bit more towards uh, the, the Wauwatosa area, but I looked it up and it's described as a homey bar slash eatery with signature burgers, large pretzels, and a long beer list in a historic venue. That said a lot in one sentence right there, and I can tell you what, I need to check out that bar very soon. So if you want to link to that, if you want to link to Raised Grain Brewing again, head over to the show notes at manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 49. As always, thank you so much to all of you out there listening. If you want to leave a rating and review, you can do that over at manufacturinghappyhour.com slash iTunes to get taken straight to the Apple Podcasts platform. We certainly appreciate it. I'll make sure to give you a shout out in the intro if you do. And I look forward to seeing you all here again next week. More episodes coming your way. Talk to you soon. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Manufacturing Happy Hour. Powered by the Industrial Network.